You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Green Bay native, Ashwabanon High School alum, an FIU quarterback, potential draftee, and player who's met with the Packers, James Morgan is on the show today to talk about his journey from growing up in Green Bay to dreaming about playing in the NFL and now the possibility of being drafted and living out that dream. He'll tell you why he expected all of this, why he continued to push for it despite losing his starting job at Bowling Green, transferring to FIU, and making it work there. We're going to get to all of that a little bit later in the show. First, I want to talk about the idea of player availability in the first round. Because I wrote about this for SB Nation, and it's something that I think is really important. You hear this a lot. After the combine, a player will do great, and, oh, well, the Packers could never draft him. He'll never be available at 30. And this goes on and on, and eventually there's 50 players going in the first round. There's 100 players going in the top two rounds and and 300 going by the end of day two. So I set about to try and figure out, to set up a roadmap, if you will, to the players who everyone agrees are good and use that information to try and extrapolate, to project forward. And so I looked at eight different major media sites, the most trusted guys when it comes to the NFL draft, guys like Daniel Jeremiah, who's a former NFL scout, Scouts Inc., at ESPN, Danny Kelly over at The Ringer, the best guys, right? And a lot of them also use information that they get. You know, ESPN uses information they get from NFL teams. Daniel Jeremiah talks to NFL teams about who they like. And so I wanted to find out, okay, who are the guys everyone loves and the fewer people who love that player, we're going to assume is less likely to be drafted. Now, of course, it only takes one. It only takes one team to fall in love with that one guy. It's how we get Christian Ponder in the first round. It's how we get Jake Locker in the first round. It's how guys go in the first round who you thought were going to go in the third round, and usually it's the Seahawks drafting that guy. And sometimes they're right, which is crazy. But I wanted to figure out who those players were so we can better project who is likely to be on the board when the Packers pick, and and more for my purposes, so that I can tell people who say they'll never be available to take a hike. So the unanimous first-round players, unanimous, all eight places that I looked, said this player was a first-round pick. There are 17 such players. None of them have been connected 
to the Packers really in any way. Chase Young, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, Jeffrey Okuda, Derek Brown, Isaiah Simmons, Jerry Judy, Jedrick Wills, CeeDee Lamb, Javon Kinlaw, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Henry Ruggs, Justin Herbert, A.J. Epinesa, Xavier McKinney, and C.J. Henderson. Now, Andrew Thomas is a name that could fall a little bit. He is not a unanimous top 15-20 player. You know, it, when you look at his ranking on this list, which is 12th, he's probably not 12th on most boards, but the fact that he's on everyone's board makes you believe that he is going to go, okay, this next group of players, Caleb on Chasen, Mekhi Becton, DeAndre Swift, T. Higgins. These are what I call surefire first-round picks. Now, T. Higgins, this was these were all boards pre-combine. The, the boards will not change that much post-combine for most of these players it's more for the fringe players and for you know those borderline first round players. You're not going to be the kind of guy who was a second round pick and all of a sudden you're a surefire first. It just doesn't work like that. So T. Higgins is someone who didn't work out and there are some questions about why he didn't work out. Was it because he wasn't fast enough? We'll find out at his pro day, but for now, he's here and is the, the fourth receiver on the board. Already four guys gone, 21 picks in. The next group, LaVisca Chenault, Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray, Grant Delpit. 22, 23, 24, 25. It would not be crazy if any of those guys fell to 30, but it is more likely they are gone. This is one reason why I think the Packers are looking at linebackers in free agency. The next group, and this is where I think you're starting to look at players who could be available for the Packers. Yader Grossmatos, Josh Jones. Those guys are potential Packers range picks. The next group, Ross Blacklock, Jalen Rager, Jalen Johnson, Brandon Ayuk, Travon Diggs. So if the Packers want a receiver, Jalen Rager, Brandon Ayuk, right after this, Justin Jefferson is in the next group. Just because he ran 4-4-3 and, and Daniel Jeremiah loves him does not mean he is a lock to go before pick 30. In fact, just three of eight boards had him as a first-round pick. He could very well be on the board at 30. It is more likely that these linebackers are gone, but that there are really good receivers to be had. And so this gets to questions about Green Bay's draft strategy. If you go out in free agency and you get a linebacker and you get a tight end and you let Brian Bulaga walk, now you have filled one key need linebacker. You don't have to worry if Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray fall. Based on this, they're probably not going to fall. They're going to go top 20, top 25. And if they're not there and you don't have someone, all of a sudden you have to scramble. you got to figure out, is there someone on day two worth taking? And they looked at, at linebackers everywhere. I think there's a chance they sign one and they draft one. Maybe on you know late on day two you get third round pick or a fourth round pick, something like that. That would make sense and match with the kind of approach they've taken to these things in the past. But you look at the guys in range for the Packers. Jalen Rager, Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, any of those three would be terrific additions for the Packers. Could a cornerback they love fall? Jalen Johnson, Trevon Diggs. They're right in that range where Green Bay is picking. Josh Jones is someone we talked about on the show yesterday. I love Josh Jones. If he falls to 30, it's a no-brainer pick. Two of my favorite, really three of my favorite players according to this analysis, are in the Packers' reigns. Josh Jones, Jalen Rager, and Justin Jefferson. I'd add Brandon Ayuk 
If he'd have been a little bit more athletic at the combine, it would have made me feel a little bit better about how raw he is. But he was good enough for me. I mean, it certainly didn't hurt him. You jump 40 inches and run 4-5. Listen, that is, that is plenty athletic for me. It gives us an idea of, of the players who could be available, guys who are likely to be available. So I don't want to hear any more about, oh, you know, player X, there's no way he falls. I mean, I just showed you, even guys like Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray, 22, 23, 24, somewhere in there. It's not crazy to think that they could fall five spots. But banking on that is a pretty big risk. And so Green Bay, trying to get a pass catcher in free agency, trying to get a linebacker in free agency, frees them up to say, okay, what we really want to do anyway is take an offensive tackle early. It is just in their DNA. It's what they like to do. They like to take guys in the trenches. Justin Harrell, BJ Raji, Derek Sherrod, Brian Bulaga, Nick Perry, Clay Matthews. So many of their first-round picks over the years, when they're not taking receivers because they never do that, have been in the trenches. It was a Ted Thompson staple And the last two seasons, they haven't in what is really a break from tradition for the Packers. Now, one of the reasons that they've done that is because they've had to. But look, Rashawn Gary, edge rusher, you're playing on the ball outside linebacker. He's still a trench player despite the fact that they signed two guys in the offseason. Jair Alexander was a DB. Darnell Savage was a DB. So two out of his three picks have not been trench players. But he found a way to get that guy at the highest pick that they've had in years. They go Rashawn Gary when they just signed two high-priced edge rushers. And it's because of their belief that you build a team from the line of scrimmage out. And so for them to say, okay, you get the linebacker. Okay, now you can wait. Third round, fourth round, maybe even the fifth round of developmental guy. Can you get Akeem Davis-Gaither now that he's hurt? Don't have to worry about that early because we don't think Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray are falling. All right. Now you get a pass catcher, a tight end. So in the first round, you don't have to to take a receiver. You don't have to get a pass catcher early. If you want to take an offensive lineman, there could be someone there for you to take. If all of those guys are gone, if Josh Jones is gone too, it means that there's probably a receiver there worth taking. And then in the second round, can you get Austin Jackson? Can you get some of these other offensive tackles because – this class is is really, I would say, two and a half rounds. If you can get a receiver and an offensive tackle in the first two rounds after signing a linebacker and a tight end, you can feel really good about the direction this team is heading in 2020. All right, let's get to our guest. He is a former Green Bay High School star, Ashwabanon High School, then Bowling Green, then FIU, then the East-West Shrine game, then the Combine, and now... Coming soon to a living room near you, James Morgan, potential NFL draft QB, has met with the Packers and a bunch of other teams. A lot of teams are interested in James. James, thanks for coming on Locked on Packers. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. So let's go back because you grew up in Green Bay. You went to Ashwaubenon High School. Growing up, I assume you went to Lambeau or at least drove by it. Did you ever let yourself think it was possible that you'd be playing either there or a stadium like it someday? Definitely. That was something that I had, you know, envisioned in my head since a, since a young age. You know, I grew up watching Brett Favre, and he was my idol, man. And just kind of growing up in that, um, like you said, with that kind of in my neighborhood, in my backyard, Lambeau being right by Ashwaubenon by my high school, it was just phenomenal. Just, uh, you know, the heroics that he would do, and then just watching that and visualizing myself doing that for a team someday, um, 
fell in love with the sport, fell in love with the quarterback position, and definitely had this uh, goal for a long time since I was a young child. I always wonder about that. Did you? Did you? Do you think you picked up any bad habits from Brett? Because I know growing up, it's same. It was the same thing for me. I played quarterback in high school. Obviously, not as good as you, but I'm sure I picked up some bad habits from watching Brett do some things that that maybe coaches are going, "Hey, James, can you not?" Right. Well, I think you know, kind of watching the Packers uh, quarterbacks growing up, you take a little bit from Favre and a little bit from Rogers. So right. With Favre, it's the mentality of a gunslinger. Like I'm not afraid to make any throw in the field. You know, I trust my arm, and that's the way I play. I think if you turn on my play, my tape, you can see that's the way I play. But then the evolution of that, too, uh, for me, has been kind of, you know, taking a little bit from Rodgers as well. Maybe I can make this throw here, but maybe the best situation for me is, you know, a check down for the team based on that down distance. So I think, you know, if you watch my tape, you know, I have the Brett Favre element in there, but at the same time, I've gotten better as I've uh, gone throughout my college career of, you know, taking the best uh, situation that's available for my team right now instead of maybe forcing something deep that I know I can throw but might not be the best fit for us at the moment. Right. Let's talk about that college career. Uh, you were you were one of the top QBs in the state, if not the Q- top QB, depending on the scouting services that, that you care about. Uh, I'm sure you didn't care about any of them. <laughs> you you go right. and, and you go to Bowling Green and you redshirt, you fr- right. you redshirt as a freshman. What was the benefit of sitting? Do you think there was a benefit to you? Do you feel like you needed that year, or was this a numbers thing? Yeah, I definitely think that there was a benefit to it. Just coming from uh, high school, I felt that uh, getting bigger, uh, kind of developing with uh, the system and with you know the speed of that college game, I felt like my arm was you know great and able to you know keep up with that. Obviously, but I think that having that year under my belt, just able to you know kind of adjust to. The new playing, uh, you know, conditions and stuff like that. And then just being able to watch uh, Matt Johnson, who was uh, the quarterback at Bowling Green in 2015, he had a fantastic year. And just watching him being able to do his thing and how he led the team and how he played the game and taking some of those things away as I didn't play and sat and watched, I think was big for me too, especially uh, later on, just kind of taking bits and pieces of what he did and kind of applying it to uh, my own leadership style. Sure. You did have, once you were able to get on the field, you had some success, but we're never quite able to get a, a full stranglehold on that quarterback job. What was that process right. like? Because, I mean, if it were me, I'd be thinking, hey, look, I'm the best guy here. I think that's something that you always have to believe as quarterback. It's certainly something that, something that I have. Um, and I have to say that, you know, you kind of said it. It didn't quite happen like I thought it was going to. I thought it would be Ashwabanon to Bowling Green to the NFL. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, a big... Uh, been in the road there at, at Bowling Green and things didn't work out and I have no animosity towards those coaches it just was a different direction than um, you know what I had going on I felt to grow and develop as a player I wanted to go somewhere else and that ended up being FIU and I'm so fortunate that I was able to um, you know have that opportunity at the end and, and, and work for that to be able to get that these last two years I felt like as a player I've grown tremendously with mentally and with uh, foot, footwork and all sorts of stuff but Definitely not the way that I envisioned it coming out of high school, but I'm glad that I was able to go through that um, because it put me in a better situation for me coming to the next level. So it's, it's kind of crazy how things work out like that. And, um, you know, you just kind of got to believe in yourself, like you said, even if you fight through some adversity, it's uh, um, something that's made me better at least. At FIU, you really did find your stride. And I want to talk about that uh, in just a second. But, but before we do, I'm, I'm curious about – 
this idea of transferring in terms of what it means for NFL teams, because it wouldn't be hard for me to envision that old school mentality. One I would disagree with, by the way, is, oh, you know, this guy didn't want to compete and sort of making you say answer for that. Did any did anyone do that in, in those meetings in Indianapolis? So I think that a lot of the teams asked about the process and about the reasons behind the transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of understand your mentality, you know, old school mentality. On the flip side of that, though, I would say that uh, transferring allows a lot of guys to get into better situations. And for me, I definitely think that that was the case. You know, I think there's merits to both offenses that I played in, uh, both in grade and more of a pro style at FIU. Um, but I think the latter of those two, the pro style, really a lot more preparation aspects for the NFL than the air raid did. Uh, the air raid's great. You know, you can spread the ball around. Um, if you have a quarterback with a big arm and a receiver is able to make some great plays, you know, basically just throw it far, let him get the ball, get it in his hands, and then uh, you score. Um, but I think that going to the pro style, where maybe it's more of a structured read type of base, uh, really helped me, especially for this next level and learning some of the plays and being able to talk ball with some of the scouts at the combine and all that stuff. Um, so it was valuable for me, and, you know, I understand that uh, there may be some skepticism with transferring, but I think for me it allowed me to go to a situation that was more ideal for me, and I'm thankful that I was able to do that for sure. Yeah, by the way, I am not in that old school mentality. I think you should You're be able not to go wherever, I think you should go wherever you feel like you should go. Uh, and, and, I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would agree, yes. Well, and you agree because it worked out for you. You went to FIU, and you right. had one of the best seasons in school history in 2018. So did FIU. Uh-huh. It was your, your coming out party. So right. what, what clicked for you? I mean, I think it was just a testament to um, the leadership that we had there, um, you know, both with coaches and with players. I was very welcomed when I got there. And one of the biggest things that I was trying to do uh, was just earn respect and, and kind of lead by example. I didn't think that um, I could lead vocally at first without having earned that right, so just kind of coming and trying to work as hard as I can. And um, the guys really welcomed me. And I think collectively as a group, we um, you know worked our tails off the entire offseason leading up to that year and um, had a great year. And that's one of my fondest memories from college football, just the relationships being uh, around those guys and, and then you also talk about leadership with uh, Coach Butch Davis and um, Rich Crosscare OC. It was uh, a fantastic setup for players, and um, you know, very thankful that we were able to accomplish some great things that year. You, you've said a couple times that that your expectation was always, "I'm going to play in the NFL." Was there a moment, right. whether it was in 2018, 2019, whenever it was, where you where it started to become real for you, where you're like, "Okay, we're getting close. I've been playing well enough that that I'm I'm earning this," because I'm sure you felt like you had to earn it. Right. You know, that's uh, that's a good question. I think that um, people have asked me that before, and um, even when you know things didn't work out at Bowling Green, and I had to you know face the fact that I had to find a different school. Um, I still believed that I could do this. And it was something that's like, you know, you mentioned an expectation. That's that's kind of how I treated it. And uh, to be able to be like, you know, have that come with the combine and stuff like that and tangible evidence, that's been great. But it's something that I really felt like I'm able to do and that, um, you know, this will be where I'm at uh, come this time. And uh, it's interesting. We had a uh, like a psychologist come in and he said something to the likes of, you know, you believe in spite of the evidence and you watch the evidence change. And I think for me, even when, you know, I was at my lowest when I, uh, you know, hadn't worked out at Bowling Green, I still firmly believed that I could do this, and I really expected this to be where I'm at. So, um, you know, I don't think there's ever a, a coming-to moment for me. I think it was more of an expectation and um, just being fulfilled right now and something that I expected to have happen. 
All right, let's talk about the pre-draft process a little bit. You start to to really pop at the East-West Shrine game, start to generate a little bit of buzz. What was your your first contact with with NFL teams, whether it was scouts or or coaches or whatever it was that that you remember? Sure. So uh, East-West would be the one, and it was basically um, a routine that was actually similar to the combine, where you know you'd have a three-hour uh, blocked-off segment where a scout would interview you and then another one would come and find you and ask you for an interview and uh, so on and so forth, back and forth for um, probably the whole time, three hours. And then the East West, it was uh, three days and the combine it was three days too. So, um, you know, it's pretty, uh, it can get pretty chaotic um, back and forth. I liked the, I liked the combine more than the East West just because of the fact that we could talk ball a lot mm-hmm. more, you know, the East West was getting to know you, which is also very important. You know, I, I know the team's, Obviously, they're going to do their homework on you and make sure that, uh, you know, you're a character kid and somebody that they, they want on their organization. Um, but being able to talk ball at the comment was was really fun. And, you know, even though it was a long and, you know, you could say it's tedious, right, back and forth, back and forth, I really didn't view it like that. I viewed it as something that was really fun, and I got pretty energized by, uh, excuse me, by the uh, different concepts that I was being taught and being talked about. So, um, you know, had a lot of fun at the combine, but that would be my experience talking to scouts so far. Well, and and the combine is is a kind of a natural thing. You're poked, you're prodded, you're you're herded around. Right. But you you already got some of that experience at the East West game. Do you feel like that prepared you a little bit for this pretty weird, if you think about it, uh, th- <laughs> thing in Indianapolis? I definitely would say so. Just having you know those interviews before and kind of that format where it's you know you're constantly moving one after the other after the other. Uh, it was very beneficial for the combine and. Um, you know, it's something that definitely was unnatural in terms of the, you know, the hospital visits and um, the various, you know, interviews and the different forms of everything that we we're going through. But uh, I would, you know, say that the East-West experience definitely helped uh, prepare for that. Yeah. Did you find that there were a, was a pretty big difference team to team in terms of what they were asking you or what they wanted to talk about? I mean, did one team, you know, talk almost no football and another team, they've got you on the board for the whole time? Yeah, I think it was it was different um, with the different teams and uh, similar with some and <clears throat> pretty much uh, you know there was a there's a general formula. Uh, some teams were just like you said, more of the okay, uh, draw this play. How did you guys teach it? Um, let's talk football. Some teams were more of the I just want to get to know you more. Um, tell me about yourself. This and that. And then some teams were you know watching the film or maybe they would give me a play and then expect me to remember it and then draw it back to them after we had talked. So um, different teams did different ways. Um, I'd say there's probably some generalness to it in terms of uh, what to expect. And I got kind of used to it after a few interviews, but um, yeah, definitely something that was pretty fun for me. What was the weirdest thing? Either someone asked you to do or a question they asked and you were just like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> so I had prepared for some, you know, bizarre questions because obviously I had heard about, you know, some, some interesting questions being asked at the combine. I never got any that were too uh, bizarre. Um, I'd say probably the strangest one that I got was just what was my favorite type of um, beer. Um, that was somebody asked me that, and um, Coors Light was my answer. That's something that I like, but um, outside of that, I didn't get too many weird ones. Coors Light, huh? That's a that's a not not what I would have expected, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's bullet, okay. Man, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, you, you, at least according to reports, got, got to meet with the Packers. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, so walk me through that interview a little bit, I mean, without giving too much away, but what is that like for you? Sure. 
I mean, it's a great opportunity for me. And, you know, obviously growing up there, it would be uh, fantastic if they were able to pick me up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for anybody who gives me an opportunity. But uh, being from the hometown, obviously, that was something that would be very cool for me. And um, they basically, their interview, um, they did uh, more of the bulk at East-West. And that was, uh, you know, kind of like a personality test that they uh, gave out and kind of just testing like your mental uh, personality factors and stuff like that. And then just talking with their scout a little bit. So, um, you know, it's very cool for me and, uh, any team that gives me an opportunity, I'm really excited to go them included. You seem to have had some really good perspective in all of this. I mean, do you allow yourself to take it in to be like, Hey, this is pretty cool. What I'm doing right now that I'm, that I'm chasing this thing that I've been working my whole life for. Right. Uh, you know, I think there's an element of that. Um, I think that maybe after the comment was done, I was kind of just take a second to, um, you know, just, just kind of see the, how cool it was just being an Indian and all that stuff. But, uh, by the same token, I think that this is a business, right? And I'm working really hard and competing against a, a spot on somebody's roster. And as such, I think that I'm not going to treat this process as being in awe of something that I've always wanted to do, but more like something that I know how to do and I'm going to perform at because I've expected it. Um, so I think there is a little bit of, um, you know, kind of taking a step back and looking at it, but a limited role, more so of a professional. This is a job now, a job interview, and everything I'm doing, I'm being evaluated for. And as such, I'm going to go and do the best that I can. Yeah, just remember you are allowed to enjoy it. It is cool that you get to do this. <laughs> what's <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what's next right, for right, you right. in terms no of the steps between now and, and the end of April? So my pro day is uh, April 1st. So right now I'm going to be training with the receivers at FIU and uh, with a quarterback coach in Tampa, just getting ready for that and uh, making the most of that opportunity. If you were, if you were, you know, able to to just make your pitch, what's your elevator pitch to? Hey, this is this yeah. is who James Morgan is to an NFL team. What is what is the elevator pitch? So James Morgan is somebody who's absolutely in love with the game and is going to work as hard as he can to help teams succeed in whatever role that can be. I'm a competitor. I'm a firm competitor, a leader. Um, I think you can test that uh, culturally to the programs that I've been at. Um, but I'm somebody who's going to do everything I can in my capacity to help team win, to help a team win games. Um, I'm going to work my absolute tail off and give 110% to it every single day because I love the game so much. Um, so I'd say that I'd probably include a little bit about my arm strength. I think if you watch down the tape, you can see that. Um, but just somebody who's, who's ready to make an impact on this league. Well, I think we can, we can say for sure. There's going to be a lot of people in, in Wisconsin rooting for you no matter what, but I think they've got, they've got one team in mind in particular, I think. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James, for taking the time and uh, and good luck the next couple of weeks and beyond. All right, I want to thank James again for joining the show. Awesome to hear from him. A, a lot of teams, a lot of teams in Indianapolis are into him. Daniel Jeremiah called him his favorite day three quarterback flyer type, someone that you, you, you throw in and say, hey, see if he can develop. Maybe he can be something. And that's his perspective, too. He feels like he's an NFL player. You heard him say it. You know, I've been dreaming about this, and I just have I kept believing. And I, I wanted it, and so I was going to make it happen. And, and he did it, and he's doing it. So really fun. I'm sure a lot of you are going to be keeping up with what's going on with him. Hopefully we can check in with him again because he'll be in a Packers uniform. That would be a pretty cool story. All right, we're going to come back tomorrow and talk more about this offensive tackle situation with our off-season report card series. I'm working through the offensive line tape, so a lot to get to with that, and then take your questions on Friday. 
Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast. Any kind of podcast app you use, you can find us. So check us out there. Sign up for our newsletter. That comes out tomorrow. It's all the best information from around the internet about the Packers curated into a newsletter for you, plus original analysis, insight from me, and a lot, lot more. So check that out. Sign up today. Do not miss the best Packers content from around the web. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Did I already say that? Podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.